creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Krejci to Coyle! And the Leafs are moved again! Hello there again, and welcome to the Nesson Bruins podcast on Nesson.com's Mike Cole, joined as always by Logan Mullen and Lauren Campbell. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty well. How are you doing, Mike? Uh, come see, come saw. Um, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, it uh, There's a lot to get to today, despite not really having any hockey as of late. And I, I kind of forget what it's like to watch hockey. What What is today? See, this is the other thing. I don't even... So, well, it's Wednesday. We're recording on a different day than usual, I think, right? Okay, it's been well, Thursday the last few weeks. Now it's Wednesday. So, yeah, we're all over the place. But, yeah, so it's been since saturday so it's been a few days since uh since there was hockey um that is life in the COVID age we kind of got to that last week but um a lot a lot of stuff to kind of get to today as i said despite not having a ton of recent hockey um so let's just get into it i guess uh the bruins are the quarter pole um or did they just surpass it i am not very good at math um i know that it's something that has come up and obviously it's something that uh, needs oh they are it's, at... it's exactly the quarter right correct yes 14. they have played 14 of 14 times games. four is yep. 56 from what are in a skid right now too um they've lost their last <laughs> one game in uh in regulation uh saturday night um on the island if i recall correctly uh but other than that uh, a fairly flawless uh first quarter i guess we could just kind of Go around the room, Logan. I'll start with you. What's your biggest takeaways? What's uh, your reaction, your impression? Uh, what do you think of the Boston Bruins through 25% of this uh, truncated NHL season? Well, any of their gambles have paid off. Perceived gambles, I guess we should say in retrospect. Like the biggest thing was the defense, and that has been nary an issue. They're third in the NHL in goals against. Zaboral has been, I thought, you know, he's – injured now but he looks way more comfortable that's been the biggest thing for me is that but in his initial call-ups he looked like he was ready to crap his pants every time he was on the ice he looks way more calm now uh Lozon I think also fitting in as a top pairing defenseman like he's gotten to a pretty dicey situation a few times where he's getting probably the most challenging matchups and he's fared fine. And then Kevin Miller's held off. I mean, we're a month into the season. He's played all 14 games so far. That was three very large question marks in their opening night lineup. And none of them up to this point, I don't think have been out for a game um, until we hit Thursday against the Devils when Zaboral doesn't play and, and they've all played well. So I think that was without question the biggest challenge that they had. And the fact of the matter was that they knew that they weren't going to straight up be able to replace uh, Zidane Ochara and Tori Krug. And I think they've done a very good job at not trying to do that. Like they've evolved the way that they've played to tailor it towards some of those younger guys. Um, and thus far, I don't think you can really draw it up much better than it's gone for them. I mean, hell, they're 10, two and two. So there's really not many holes you can poke. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think the defense has been my biggest takeaway because there is two major holes left in Tori Krug and Chara there. So just to see them kind of not really miss a beat, not really be the problem of this team, not that this team really has a lot of problems, um, certainly eased a lot of my reservations going into the season, but everyone's held up. Everyone looks good. And then my other takeaway is that Trent Frederick will just fight anyone who comes, who will drop the gloves with him, which I think is great. Obviously, he's going to fight for a spot in this lineup when Kasha comes back, when this lineup gets fully healthy. So 
he's going to try to do everything he can to stay in this lineup. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add. I mean, yeah, I think that the, the, the defense is, is a big thing. Um, I do, I guess I can kind of talk about, about the goaltending. I think we, we mentioned this, well, I don't know if it was last week or the week before. Um, there was some nitpicking, at least on my part, of Tuka Rask. All of a sudden, Tuka Rask's save percentage is back up over 900. Yaroslav Halak is like, I didn't realize it's playing out of his goddamn mind. Like, you know, he hasn't lost a start yet, at least not in regulation. He's got a 938 save percentage. So I think, you know, the defensive, I mean, it turns into a little bit of chicken and egg, right? But I think some of the defensive, uh, the potential defensive growing pains have been uh, subdued or, or slowed down or at least maybe even hidden by how good the goaltending has been. Um, so I think that that's, a, that's an encouraging thing. I, you know, Sweeney, you know, as most GMs do, you know, takes a lot of gruff for certain roster building decisions. It's just the nature of the job. I don't think he gets enough credit for what he's done with the goaltending situation in the last few years. Um, you know, I, I think Yaroslav Halak being willing to, to take the contracts that he has has, has certainly helped that. But, um, you know, they, they've been at the forefront or at least close to the forefront when it comes to having two solid goaltenders and they aren't letting it completely eat up their cap. So I think that that is starting to, or has been, you know, making its impact up and down the roster. Um, it, it just kind of allows you to do more things and it, it allows you to feel like you're going to win on any night when you can either roll out a Vesna trophy winner uh, or, you know, a very, very good backup who would be a starter in quite a few markets. So the goal thing is, is impressed me um, even more so maybe than I, I realized uh, as I started to look at the numbers. Um, and, you know, I guess not to at risk of harping on, you know, I don't want to, go back on or you guys made the defensive point fine enough. I, so I guess I'll pick something else and say, I I've been pleasantly surprised with Nick Ritchie, um, which is maybe one of the bigger surprises of this first quarter of the season. Um, I think he's been a, you know, Bruce, Bruce Cassidy deserves all the credit in the world for, for giving uh, Richie some valuable power play time. And, and Richie's made him look like a genius. I and mean, he's in that trade with what Andre Kasha has gone through could look like a, a com, you know, just a complete tire fire right now. The fact that Richie's playing as well as he has kind of is saving Sweeney's bacon in that regard. So again, that kind of just tells you the highs and lows of, of team building right there. So, um, you know, they've gotten, I think, relatively unexpected offensive con contributions from some players. And, you know, the fact that they continue to have maybe the best line in hockey, you add it all up and it's 10, two and two. Well, it's a textbook situation too of a, trade working out for both sides because I, I think it's easy to lump in <clears throat> both deals that they did with the Ducks last year into one. I mean, Richie came in a one-for-one -one deal with Danton Heinen, who's actually been very good with the Ducks as well. So I think what we're seeing is exactly what the Bruins had in mind, where they felt that they were getting pushed around too much. Danton Heinen, certainly not the physical presence that Nick Richie is. And I think they said, well, let's, you know, shake things up a little bit. It didn't work out last year. And it's hard to believe now that, I mean, the guy who's anchoring down the second line is the same guy who was getting healthy scratched in the postseason in the bubble and was barely getting, you know, shifts on the fourth line. And so I think it's just a matter of this is what they thought they were going to get from Nick Ritchie. And I guess maybe it's just a matter of, he had a weird situation when he got here in that he had two weeks before the NHL yeah. shut down. And then it was just an unusual circumstance going into the bubble. And I think because of the way some 
analysts have ripped him. There have been questions about like his motivation and his drive and whatnot when he was younger and in juniors and everything. I think he didn't exactly get the cleanest of slates here at first when he did stumble a little bit out of the gate. But now I think we're starting to see what Don Sweeney had in mind when he traded for him. How sustainable it is obviously remains to be seen. I mean, the sample size still at this point is what, like 20, 25 games? Like that's probably not quite enough. The, the water will find its level eventually. But I think this is at least something that, if nothing else, the Bruins found a way to use them properly, right? Like last year, I think we could all agree they didn't end up using them properly just because they didn't know. Like it's nobody's fault. But I think they're kind of getting both sides on the right course now. It's funny because at the, the one of the first podcasts I did with you guys, I think I said Nick Ritchie was like my odd man out just because of what we had last year with healthy scratches. He did have a bad situation because as soon as he comes in, the NHL pauses and you can't build that chemistry. Um, it's nice to, I'm pleasantly surprised by him. I'm glad that I was wrong because he fits very nicely for now where he is. Um, and it's funny that you say like when he was younger, cause he's only 25 and it's just like, <laughs> it is weird, yeah. that he's 25. He's, I feel like he's been around forever, but, um, I'm very happy with what he's done for the second line. I think he fits in well. And I'm like that. I'm glad to know that I was right now a quarter way through the season. I was very wrong. And he certainly is not the odd man out anymore. Well, well what that, do you do too? Oh, like pretty much everybody's made it difficult because, so when Kasha's eventually healthy again, what what are they going to do? Because of all the forwards that are playing right now, like you're probably scratching Bjork, right? But from what we've seen from Kasha, is he played his way into a lineup spot, which I know might be a little too spicy, but of the 12 forwards that they have, like maybe Wagner you take out. Um, maybe I, I was going to say, well, it's tough because, and and as we dig into it, we'll, we'll get to us a little bit more in a few minutes. Like, you start looking at the, the offensive numbers and it's not, they're not lighting the world on fire. Like, you know, not too overly cliche, but like they scored 42 goals in those 14 games. So, you know, I don't think they should be, I was about to say like Kasha kind of has to play his way back in the lineup, but if they're still averaging three goals a game, which is what is like league average, probably like, I don't know. You start to, I'd start to mess around with it a little bit. Like, I think you, you went out and you, you traded what you traded to to get that guy, or at least you know you you get him in that deal with what you had to give up. Like I don't know, I would I'd try to find a way to to get him in there. I don't know who you know to answer your question, but the more I think about it, like I mean, the offense hasn't been uh, you know, just unstoppable. So I don't think you know I, I think they should be open to anything, especially trying to find him a, a spot in the lineup. Yeah, it is I weird. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Assist. I'm right there too. It's just now kind of he's the odd man out because I mean, you can take Wagner out, you could take Bjork out, but does that kind of mess up what they have going? Bjork's been streaky this year, Wagner's been streaky this year, but um, you know, we don't really know what we're getting with Kasha. He's only played two or three games, I think, before he suffered his injury. So I think it's his his spot to earn back, and I think it's the others to lose. Well, and it's weird too because there's not a especially a guy with a head injury, you don't want to put him in too much of a checking role, right? Or I guess they haven't confirmed if it's a head injury, but he has a long history of head injuries. So like, you're probably not putting him on the fourth line, right? You know, he's, he's not that type well, of two-way forward. You didn't give up what you gave up to get him. I know, you know, 
I know a yeah. lot of what you gave up was packaged to getting rid of Bacchus's money, but like they brought him in here to do something other than play like the fourth line as well. Right. And then you start to fall into the same situation that you did with Richie, right? Where the sample size is so small because he got off to the, I mean, what has he played here? Like 15 games. So that's also not the greatest, you know, way to judge how he's been so far, especially when you take into account that like snake bitten as he might've been when it comes to scoring, like he looked good during stretches of that Tampa series when everybody else was bad. Really good. Yeah. Um, But then it's like, okay, well, how much are you willing to shuffle up things that have worked for a guy who just hasn't found a fit so far? And I guess that's where the benefit of banking points comes in right now. But like, basically their top three lines are interchangeable. And it's like, there are a few guys, I mean, they're already moving Pasternak around. So there are a few guys who are actually like locked into spots. So it's like, how, how long do you want to spend tinkering with lines before you're just like, all right, somebody's got to stay in and somebody's going to be the 13th guy. Well, here's the thing too. You're not doing Kasha any favors by bringing him back and being like, you know, we're going to rotate through off nights for certain guys, you know, especially as we hit the, you know, the, the teeth of the schedule, you know, and maybe it's, I was about to say like, well, what if you did, you know, what if you gave, you know, Richie a night off here and there? What if you, you know, you gave Marshawn a night off and just kind of mixed in and, and but like if Kasha is like the odd man out in that regard like he's gonna be the one moving around the lineup and like you're not doing him any favors by you know keeping him out of a consistent role like I think that's part of the thing here too is like you would like to see him on a line with consistent teammates just to see what he can do because you know if he's getting different if he's playing with different guys from night to night and he's getting different minutes from night to night how are you supposed to really take true stock of what you have in him? Yeah. well and that's why like that's why I think even at this point, it's tough to assess guys like Anders Bjork because him and DeBrusque have spent their entire careers, well, DeBrusque not so much, getting moved around. And then you read stuff that's like, oh, well, they've never quite worked out. It's like, okay, you know, Anders Bjork might not actually be a top six forward, but you don't know what you have in him because you've been bouncing him around between like fourth line checking role. And then the next night he's playing on the top line and, you know, are they really going to do that with Kasha who also is still kind of young, right? He's 24, 25 years old. Um, You know, I, I agree, Mike, that like at a certain point you're doing a disservice to guys by constantly moving them around. (laughs) That being said, I, maybe Jake DeBrusque is a guy who is entering a very important couple of hockey games. Um, you know, I, I, we, we just spent, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes talking about how great the Bruins are, but as I kind of alluded to offensive or offense has been an issue aside from the top line, um, and in the power play, like the five on five scoring is, has been well-documented. It's gotten a little bit better than it was early in the season, but, um, yeah, it's still an issue. And you know, Bruce Cassidy is, is ready to shake it up and he, he's going to, uh, entering Thursday, right? They play Thursday. Um, he, he's, he's shaking it up for that game. And then obviously I, I would imagine into Tahoe, but, um, you know, finally shaking up that, that top line, moving Pasternak down to the second line, skating with uh, Richie and Krejci and Jake DeBrusque is going to go up and, and skate with uh, Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marsh. And I think one of my big takeaways here is there's a lot of pressure on Jake DeBrusque right now. Like if he goes up on that top line, and doesn't contribute and doesn't, you know, 
can't find the back of the net. He's, I feel like he might be in, in danger of losing a job once, if and when Kasha comes back. I think that's kind of where we're at right now. I think it's pretty high stakes over the next couple of weeks for, for Jake DeBrusque. Yeah, I think so too. I think, you know, he's come in and he hasn't produced as well as we thought he has uh, dating back to last season. And now, you know, if this doesn't jumpstart him being on a line with Pasha, uh, with Marjan and Bergeron, I'm not sure if anything really can or will be able to jumpstart him. Um, we know that Cassidy is not afraid to shake up his lines. He has been kind of, you know, doesn't really want to break up that first line, but I think he wants to get the brush going. I think he sees his potential. I think a lot of us see his potential. We know that it's there. It's just a matter of, is he, is he a second line player? Or like you said, Mike, like, does this put him in danger of losing his job when Kasha comes back? It, there's a lot of pressure on him. Um, he probably knows that. I don't think he's getting moved up to the top line as a kind of promotion kind of thing. Like he knows that a lot is on the line and he could be healthy scratched. And I don't think a player like Jake DeBrus wants to be on the ninth floor watching his teammates while he's up there just sitting there. Yeah, Logan, before you hop in, like, I was just thinking about this as you're talking, Lauren, like Cassidy's been pretty reticent to like not to do anything but shake up that first line when it's been more, you know, a pretty clear like alternative or an option for him to go to. And he's been, you know, he's not been willing to do that even in the playoffs. Like he'll do it from in, you know, game to game inside the game. But it, when was the last time Logan, you might know this better than I did. When was the last time he, he, he shook him up, you know, going into a game. Um, and I think that kind of speaks to, to where he's at in terms of patience or, you know, running out of tool. You know, Claude Julian always talked about, you know, coaches have certain tools in their toolboxes. I wonder if he thinks he's running out of tools when it comes to trying to figure out Jake DeBrusque's scoring issues. I want to say at some point, maybe right before the shutdown last year, he messed with the lines. Because there was a while where they were trying to figure out what to do with Richie and Kasha. And they kept shuffling things around. It doesn't happen often, though. It, it doesn't. And it's weird, too, because, like, the Krejci Pasternak idea is way better in theory than it's been in practice. Like, they've been fine. But I think people expect David Pasternak to go on the second line. And all of a sudden, the Bruins are world beaters. And that's not exactly how that's gone. I it's a little melodramatic to say that this is like a quasi desperation move for them because like, they're not at a break right. point or a desperate point or whatever. However, they're also teetering on the territory of being exactly where they've been the last five years of, okay, so what happens if you can't keep Pasternak on the second line because DeBrusque isn't working out on the first line, then you're going through the revolving door again, right? Is it Craig Smith there? Is Kasha able to do it? Like all of a sudden, all these guys that you were hoping would be legitimate top six right wingers. Instead, you have a surplus of like third line caliber guys and, and not bad ones, but you know, the, they're kind of running out of time to experiment because it's the same thing with like Jack Stadnico, right? Like he's, he's fine, but it, it, he's probably not as NHL ready as some other guys. And you're, hoping at least that you don't have to turn to him because he's a natural center you ideally would think that you know your young uh rfa winger that you just gave a prove it deal to for a few years would be able to come around and be the guy he was as a rookie you would hope that he wouldn't continue regressing you would hope andre kasha the guy that you got in a major trade a year ago would end up working out like i don't know eventually 
they're going to realize like we just have to figure something out and maybe you know make their peace with the fact that it's just going to keep being a black hole until i don't know the off season something like that or they have to be comfortable enough with the fact that they're not going to get as much production as they want out of that hole well and if they're not going to get scoring depth then we're going to continue to see what happened last year like you're not going deep in the playoffs it's just it, it doesn't work like the fact that they got to the stanley cup final two years ago is probably a bit of an aberration in hindsight right like it's just i you're, you're banking on a lot like teams get tougher it gets tighter checking as the rounds go on you know special teams becomes a little bit less of a factor like this is something that they need to button up and i, I think it's something that they need to know if they're going to make a change you know before the playoffs get here um they probably want to know sooner than later obviously so it makes well, the timing i think is good too considering how good they've been i think they kind of feel like they've got a little bit of a luxury here to kind of mess around and when they signed craig smith my thought was you know he'll be a very good third liner but not that great of a second liner i've started to reach the point where their best option might be putting him on the second line because he shoots so much so they could actually have something there with a guy that has Krejci's playmaking ability and then Richie just getting to the net and then Craig Smith going bombs away all the time. And then that's your second line. I mean, we're, again, nearing the territory where I mean, you could probably make a case that some nights their third line, their Charlie Coyle-centered line is their de facto second line, right? Just because of the way things have worked out. I mean, the Krejci-Richie combo has been fine. But again, you don't want to be experimenting forever. At some point you need to say, all right, we think this is what we are and short of injuries, this is what we're going to roll with. Yeah. And I think too, a, a lot of that, you know, you, David Krejci doesn't have a right winger half the time and you can't keep bringing in people to, you know, up and down uh, trading for players, whatever they, whatever they've done the last few seasons, you know, you need that consistency and it's nice to have that through the lineup and, like you guys said, it's, you can only experiment for so long before it's like, okay, what do we need to do to make something stick? Um, yeah. Going back to the, uh, the, the current or the soon to be current iteration of the second line. I also wonder, like you talked about defense earlier, how good is that second line going to be in its own end? Like that potentially dicey. Yeah, that's fair. So, I mean, that's another thing to consider, you know, I'm going to keep my eye on that. I mean, I, you know, Cassidy is going to probably do all that he can to, to keep them in, in advantageous situations, but yeah, when they go on the road, they don't have, you know, first change, it'll be interesting to kind of see something to keep in mind. I don't know. Uh, it, the, the defenseman probably going to get a, a pretty good test here moving forward. So um, that, so like, I feel like in the first uh, few minutes, we talked about how great everything is <laughs> I feel like we that must have was... stated the direness of the situation. <laughs> We're just eulogizing the Bruins for yeah. 15 minutes. Um, 10, 2, and 2. Yeah. No, I – but I do think – and I think I talked about this a little bit last week. There are elements of their early season success that don't feel overly sustainable. And, you know, what is their record in, like, shootouts? Like, they, they, they're winning shootouts this year. That's – that's not going to, I mean, we've seen that that's not a, that's not what the Bruins do. I don't think that just got magically fixed year over year. So that type of thing is going to start, you know, evening out playoff game or excuse me, overtime games. Like 
the puck's going to start bouncing weird ways. Like, I just, I don't know. There's, um, you know, I, they are the playing they, from behind all the time. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's the other thing too. So the record is what it is, but like, I, you know, kudos to Cassie as well for kind of trying to get out in front of this, or I don't even know if he's getting out in front of it. When you look at the Brock's numbers, he's got like, he's goalless for like what, nine games. So that's the thing. It's weird too. I mean, we've, this is, you know, the Jake DeBrusque conversation is kind of like been merged into the, the second line right wing, you know, conversation and getting Krejci or winger because it's, it, this has gone on for what, three years now. You know, DeBrusque shows flashes of greatness at times, but it's just, it's not nearly consistent enough. And it's funny, like Jake DeBrusque might be the key to the Bruins going to the next level and if he can figure it out and try to unlock something at some point before they get to the playoffs this year or whenever like that's going to make them a lot better but without that you've got a pretty big hole there so pretty big you know that's a interesting little nugget storyline to, to pay attention to moving forward so it's incredible to think they had 27 goals two years ago yeah like and, and that's the thing is he like he doomed himself in a way because now three yeah. chuckleheads like us are going to sit around and say this is the same guy who scored 20 plus goals uh or 27 goals his first season reached what was it 16 his rookie year and why can't he score now like we know he's capable of it um it's just weird the the regression he had 19 goals last year which is more than i thought to be honest with you but i'm looking it up like i mean the shooting percentage spiked the year that he scored 27 like he you know 17 percent. so that's a little bit of a, an anomaly but over the course of a season i don't know like he's got a his it, it feels like he should be in a pretty good spot like with that the line mates that he currently has right now so it's just weird that it has not clicked yet that's i'm so oh sorry go ahead boy it's just weird to me that Krejci's an assist machine and that Jake DeBrus cannot find the back of the net if his life depended on it, where Krejci is constantly you know, leading the team in assists or he's very close to leading the team in assists. And not only that, like Richie's, yeah, it's not clicking. Richie can, you know, get to the front of the net. He takes up space. You, when he's on the ice, you have to at least account for him. And like, that's, that should open up some room you would think, but it just hasn't worked. I don't want to overstate this, but like how much of it is DeBrus playing on his offside? Because like they've made clear they don't want to move Richie. And if I remember correctly, DeBrusque has bemoaned the fact before that he doesn't like playing on the right. But if they're going to keep Richie on the left, then he has no choice. He's in the same spot on the first line. I mean, some guys are actually impacted by that. Uh, it was the same thing with Bjork. Like, Bjork didn't stick in the NHL until they actually started keeping him on the left. Uh, like, he would go and he would tear up the AHL on the left side, and then he'd go up and play third-line right wing, and he'd be a puddle. And then they switched him over, and wouldn't you know it, he looked like he had a clue. Like, some guys just can't switch back and forth like that. That's a fair point, and, like, it feels like if that if it's that big of a bugaboo for him, it – and I don't know, like, I don't know enough about Nick Ritchie's game, admittedly, but, like, it feels like a player like that should be better suited to moving to his off wing. But, again, I don't right, know. If you're just going to get to the net, right? Yeah, Which I know right. is a gross oversimplification. Right. Yes, yeah, that's insulting to Nick Ritchie, but it's not like, you know, when was the last time you remember, you know, Krejci hitting him with a, you know, neutral zone pass <laughs> on, the, on the tape and coming into the, the attacking zone like it doesn't happen a ton so nick richie going coast to coast on yeah the it doesn't have, yeah. yeah my <laughs> thing is, that... is not so um 
Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting and, and it's something I guess that they're going to try to toy with here. Like I said, you bank enough points early on, it, it affords you these kind of luxuries, for lack of a better term, where you can kind of tinker and, and figure it out. So um, I guess one other thing, Parlin Holm, <laughs> this kind of just happened out of nowhere, it feels like. I I don't know. Like, it's just I, people might have missed this. Parlin Holm's gone. So, yeah. Um, so the Bruins put him on waivers. Uh, and did he clear? Yeah, he, he asked to get put on waivers was my okay. understanding. That's what, yeah, right. So and now he's going back to Sweden. So um, I don't know, Logan, what is your take on Parlin Holm? Well, it, I understand why. Like, Because Cassie said, so he had, him and his, I think, wife had a baby in April. Um, and I believe they were back in Sweden. And right. Lindholm, I guess, point blank admitted to Bruce Cassidy that he was having a very hard time getting motivated to practice, knowing, one, that he had effectively no chance of getting in the lineup because the Bruins flat told him, we're going to try out younger guys before we start playing you. And, like, Trent Fredericks worked out, so that pushed him further back. They still have Greg McKay, who hasn't even played a game yet. And so I think he said, if I'm going to be the 13th, 14th forward, um and my newborn baby is back home with my wife like what am I doing here when I could go and play and I he's probably I forget how much he was making but it was probably veteran minimum right like he can make that playing in the top league in Sweden um so he can go back home be with his family I have no issues with that whatsoever yeah I think um it's pretty good reason to want to go back home um especially you know if you you know you're not a lock to be in the lineup really at any point this season like what is the point being away from your wife your newborn baby and just not being happy because then it just turns into like a whole other mess and it could have been a really messy split but it sounds like it just was I don't want to be here I can't get motivated and they're like okay let's get you out of here and boom Mike your thoughts with a six-week-old I was gonna say maybe he's a guy who values sleep I don't know that would be yeah. a great thing. <laughs> so you're gonna you're going to pay me not to work. Uh, and I don't have to deal with my infant. Yeah. All right. I, I'm actually going to stay over here. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's a bummer. Uh, I mean, not a bummer. Right? It's, it's cool that it worked out the way it did. And I'm happy for him. Um, and it makes no sense for him to be over here if his head's not in it. But like, I don't know. I, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm the you know, president of the Parlin home fan club, but like, I thought, you know, for what they needed, it worked out pretty well, at least last year. I mean, this year is a little bit different, but I think, I think Lindholm's an NHL player. Yeah. Um, he played a lot with the Maple Leafs before he got traded and then he ended up in Winnipeg and never really played. Um, but like, he was just, again, he was fine for what he was supposed to be. I mean, I remember last year when Dave Krejci was hurt to start the year, Lindholm would go from healthy scratch to centering the second line. Yeah, and like, yeah. he was your perfect plug and play guy where like, you weren't going to get much offense out of him, but he was a great penalty killer. Um, and the truth of the matter was that, you know, th this is what they signed him to be. And he got, he played a lot more last year than we probably thought he would. He ended up with what, like 40 games last year. And that's just, you know, the role he was supposed to be in the offense that he contributed in Sweden didn't really translate to the NHL happens to a lot of 28 year olds who come to the NHL for the first time. Um, it just, you know, it was, it was a tough situation. Very big of you to uh, say nice things about Parlin Holm after Parlin Holm basically replaced Joakim Nordstrom last year. <laughs> That's not true. Joakim Nordstrom was never get fired. 
Um, they, yeah. I, they could have managed that a little bit better. I think there was room for a Parlin Holmes, Sean Crowley joking Nordstrom line. But I think that's a little redundant, but that's neither here nor there. Um, they, they could kill the heck out of penalties. Yeah, I was going to say, that's called a penalty killing unit. They would eat pucks and just kill penalties. They would eat them and they would not do anything with them, like put them in the net. Um, <laughs> which again, not necessarily the fourth line's job, but that would, that not a lot of hands there. Um, anything else? Tahoe's this weekend. That'll be interesting. Green Day, that'll be fun. Um, I'm so tired of Green Day. It sounds like they will play that game. The the Flyers, if it sounds like knock on wood, are getting uh, healthier, literally. Um, so that I guess we can probably discuss that next week. I'm looking forward to it. The pictures look cool. Other than that, it's just a hockey game. So, um, you, you guys have anything else? All I right. am shocked that they're bringing Green Day back after what happened at the All Star game last year with all the F bombs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Remember that? Like oh, that, I forgot about that. that. That was the most attention that All Star game got. Was the wow, fact yeah. that Green Day like popped right on the stage and was just I wonder if that's, obscenities around. I wonder if it was contracted. Like, I wonder if they had Green Day to do like the Winter Classic this year plus the All Star game last year or something, and now they're they're bringing them to Tahoe because you know. Green Day. They're gonna go out there and sing like the YMCA to make sure. <laughs> be sick. Um, <laughs> all right, that's it. I this any Green Day talk is way too much Green Day talk for me. So agree. For Lauren and Logan, I'm Mike. It's been Nest Bruce Podcast. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you again next week. Adios.